Welcome to Strange Brow Radio. My name is Tobe Johnson. I'm your host in perpetuity here as we get started on a new venture. Usually if you hear my voice, you know good and well that uh, we meet at the Axe and Fiddle, the historic pub in Cottage Grove, Oregon, and do our live event where we talk about everything from UFOs to Sasquatch to, gosh, hauntings. We go all over the place and we'll continue to do so. But as promised, we got started here with a podcast, so you've turned into one of many episodes we'll have on such matters. So, thank you for doing that. I want to thank our sponsor, Feral, by Erin at Etsy.com. If you haven't checked out her website, do it. Go to Etsy, type in all one word, Feral by Erin, E-R-Y-N, and there you will find spirit drums, rattles, smudge sticks, all handcrafted by artisan Erin Jackson. She may be joining us time to time on the show here as well. But until then, go check her out, Etsy.com. All right, we'll be right back and tell you all about the show. So for our initial episode here, episode one, Strange Brow Radio, we are going to play a previously recorded presentation by Ron Moorhead of Quantum Bigfoot. He came down here on the 30th of September 2018 and gave one hell of a presentation to a pack house and one of our live events that we do at the Axe and Fiddle. You can find out more about that at strangebrow.com and go to ronmoorhead.com. Check out uh, Ron's books, CDs, and this is about an hour and 15 minute presentation with some Q&A afterwards. So I think the quality should be there. Uh, you probably hear the clickety clack of uh, a waitress or two in the background, but um, it's a great presentation. And if you hadn't heard Ron's presentation before, well, you're about ready to hear one now. So as always, We'll see you in the trees and enjoy Ron Moorhead from the Axe and Fiddle. That was a big quick for that noise. And uh, I'll be playing these sounds throughout my presentation for you. Maybe an hour long. It might seem like it's longer. <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope I can uh, keep you engaged and that you uh, find me interesting because what I have I think is extremely interesting. And, you should uh, open the eyes of those skeptics that are out there. Are there any skeptics here that just don't believe in Bigfoot? No. Oh, well, I can believe you. <laughs> no, I'm not here to convince anybody. The facts are, well, they should convince you by the facts of well, not not by what I say. So I'll get on with it. And uh, it's about language. These things have language. And I don't mean like a dolphin has language or like a... Like quails, everything communicates, but these communicate with the safety of language like we have. And you'll hear this uh, in a few minutes. Well, that wasn't language. Don't let that disturb your lunch, ladies. <laughs> that was a display of one of them, how, how they sounded when they first encountered them. There, that's the shelter, eight miles into the wilderness of the Sierra Nevada Mountains of California. And uh, kind of an imposing area to get to. It's a whole hunting camp, been there since the 50s. And uh, I started going in 71 when 
couple of guys that were going there longer than that had uh, encountered what they thought was Bigfoot. They didn't know what it was, but come on, I was friends with them. I went back up, and uh, uh, a year later, Al Berry went up with an investigative reporter, and he's actually uh, responsible for fostering some of these uh, studies we've had done on these sounds. When activating any new paradigm, and paradigm is how you think things are, by the way, we all got them. We all think we know so much more than we probably do. Uh, it takes time, effort, and a willingness to explore the new as well as shed the old. I like that statement, so I put it in there. But one of the Those two have a little disagreement. Uh, they were outside this shelter I just showed you, and uh, that's what we was hearing. We all had firearms, by the way, and we were ready to shoot our way out if we had to, or if we didn't know when they make any sounds what they were going to do, if they were going to come in at us, or if they were uh, arguing with each other. But Nancy Logan, you can read what she says here, she's a human sound expert, only one in ten in the state of California qualified with human sound, she's got expert expert hearing, she speaks fluent languages several times, and she made that statement, but uh, let me play a few of the sounds here, we can go on from Bill's knocks. kind of sounds they made when they were approaching our camp. They would, uh, they would whoop, they would knock rocks together, they'd break limbs. Uh, I think they're trying to see what we were, kind of how we were going to respond. I think it's codes. You can hear one hitting over here and another one hitting over here. This was the night when they were doing it, I got to see one flashing through the trees. So they're pretty loosey, by the way. Extremely loosey. Very stealthy. Very fast. their way of messaging between each other because we believe there were three at our camp that night. They were actually doing this while we are outside the shelter. Normally they, they were uh, not interact with us or make these sounds until we were inside the shelter. But this night was different. This was in 1974. It all began for us in 1971. You want to wonder why I don't have a, a picture of one because we underestimate what they were then. They could seem to be a step ahead of you when you try to trick them. You can't trick these things, at least we couldn't. Two of them have a conversation, I guess. 
Oh, this one breathing. I didn't get asthma, so I would just do that one in. Well, we don't know if they were trying to communicate, intimidate us, or but they were just curious about us. Why they came into our camp, we don't know whether they figured we didn't shoot at them, but they were safe. The newest deer hunting camp is always deer hunt there the after season opened, and it's quite a pristine area, very imposing to get to, like I say. So uh, why they dealt with us, I don't know. Maybe just so I could share this with you today, I hope. Okay, thank you, Toby. This is Alan Berry, that's he and I when we went into camp. His son took this picture, this was years ago, one of his last trips. And he was the investigative reporter we took to this camp to, and he went in uh, under the pretense of Ivan Sanderson, I don't know if you've heard of him, a cryptozoologist who got a 23-page letter from Warren Johnson, the leader of our group, explaining what was going on in his camp. He thought it was a hoax, and he made that well-known to a man named Peter Byrne out on the West Coast, who thought he might want to examine it. Peter also thought it was just somebody hoaxing him, pulling the leg, so he sent it down to Al Berry, who lived in Redding, California. That's Alan Berry. He was uh, working for the Redding Sessuary newspaper at the time. Came down, very skeptical. He decided that, uh, we decided we'd let him go in and check it out. And he was looking for hopes all the time. He never told us that. But I found he was looking through our packs. <laughs> he was actually looking through our packs while we were out looking for somebody who could have been fooling him uh, how this was going on, but he, uh, he uh, a little loud, probably. That worked. Can you play it again? Play it again, Sam. Yeah, play it again. Go ahead. Go ahead and play it again, yeah. go ahead. play it again. statement there, credible evidence is often ignored if it doesn't fit in a certain person's paradigm. That's so true. And it's very true in the scientific community, it seems like. They seem to think if it's out there, it has to be some kind of a lost ape or some type, maybe the missing link, something like that. Uh, and that's what they look for, something that will fit in their box. Uh, I got news for them, and I've been telling them for years that it's a little different than that. Until they've had a personal experience themselves, they're probably never going never gonna, to uh, believe what these things could represent. Alan Berry looked all over trying to find someone that would study these sounds and take them seriously. He was made the butt of jokes from quite a few professors who he was going to. He had a master's degree in science. He wasn't no dummy. Big man, six foot four. He was also in Vietnam, and he was just uh, really trying desperately to get somebody to take these on. And it wasn't until until uh, he got uh, Dr. Curlin at the at the uh, university. Anybody heard the term cognitive dissonance? No? Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it's a mental conflict that occurs when beliefs or assumptions are contradicted by new information. Somebody say something? Oh. This is Professor Curlin's uh, work. 
He studied his styles for a year at the University of Wyoming, and uh, the box you see in the middle is uh, the average human sound uh, range. That's what we talk in. And uh, it sounds that this one little blurb that I'll play here, these sounds are in those little icons you see on the far left. And uh, listen carefully to the, uh, to the very last of this. It uh, sounds very human-like, and that's because those little dots are in the human range. You hear that? I didn't either. Anyway, trust me. <laughs> trust me. <clears throat> that, that's, what, that's what it is. The, the sound, uh, you may hear it in another, you may hear it in a minute, but uh, got a little issue going on here with this thing. Uh, unknowingly, uh, Professor AT&T uh, corroborated Dr. Crowley's uh, report by saying the sounds represented an animal that was about 8 foot 4, 8 foot 5 inches tall. And his, his whole report, his whole report came out in this book, Man Like Monsters on Trial, which uh, his paper was presented at the UBC Press, or UBC in uh, British Columbia in 1978, actually. And uh, anyway, the whole report can be read in that book if you have access to it or can get it. It's, uh, it went into print in 1980, and it's been part of the record for all these years. But yet, People still can't get their head around these things, maybe have a language or can make these sounds. And these sounds represent something that can go above, in between, and below our range. And uh, it's quite some interesting things. Uh, this is a cryptolinguist who will be on Skype later uh, talking to us. How he transcribed a language out of these sounds. And when I say language, I mean language by the human definition language. I mean, say, whatever these things are, they have to have the same vocal mechanism we have. And they, or at least at least that or more, and uh, they talk in streams of words, what they call morphing streams, and those streams of words make a sapient sentence. And other animals don't do that. They'll make a sound or they'll do something to attract the opposite, but uh, they don't have sapient language like humans. That's what we're called, homo sapiens. We're sapiens. Homo sapiens sapiens, which means as wise of the wise, which I question that. So that's what they say. Anyway, he's been vetted thoroughly. He's one of uh, only a few in the world that could probably do this. He seeked us out. It's not a sound. It's not a Any guesses? <laughs> anyway, he, he came all the way out from Missouri where he's teaching foreign languages after he retired from the military as a cryptolinguist. And uh, he heard these sounds by accident and came out and interviewed me and Mr. Barry uh, separately to find out the context of the sounds, what was going on, and took the original sounds back and studied them and made a statement that they have a complex language by the human definition of language. That don't mean they're just communicating. That means they are thinking things through like we're supposed to do. And here's the catcher right here. I love this one. This is the third piece of evidence. It just came up in the last few weeks. This guy, Thinker Thunker, remember I ever heard of that? He's on YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> Catch it. Sierra Sounds. Thinker Thunker, Sierra Sounds. He does a 20 minute 
presentation on what he found in these sounds, which no one's done before like he did. He said that in one, and they do this several times throughout their vocalizations, in one sound they can make five octaves in one tone. And no human on this earth is supposed to be able to do that. No animal on this earth is supposed to be able to do that. So that makes these even more unique, uh, how that happens. I am right now as we speak, I got word out trying to find some more professional cooperation for that because I contacted Dr. Curlin, who I haven't uh, been with. He is not anything grocery. He's retired in 2002, but so he won't he won't get into this, and he shouldn't. But uh, he's going to try to dig me up somebody that will do the cooperation for us. If, if there is, if it can be cooperated, if it seems really made five octaves in one note, my gosh, that's that's to be the smoking gun. I just like to have it right outside your shelter. You don't know what to do. Uh, ah, there's my smoking gun. I made that. <laughs> I kind of like it. I mean, anyway, everything, absolutely everything, has a vibrational frequency. And I'm going to get into my, my newest book, The Quantum Bigfoot, because as you think, and as we sit here, we see and think we know everything we're seeing, but there's more going on than what we can see. Can you hear me? Okay. And uh, anyway, we only see within a certain frequency, light frequency, how far uh, there's more going on. There's just so much more going on. Quantum physics was uh, introduced about a little over 100 years ago, and it kind of takes over with classical science, and that's what we're all been taught, Newtonian physics in grade school, really. How everything's measurable, everything is uh, figured out, everything can be figured out. Well, you can't figure out everything. They, they did that because they couldn't figure out how space was, how the universe worked. Well, that's where Einstein came in, Tesla, Bohr, these people started working that on quantum physics. and. Uh, it's established mathematically, scientifically, that there are other dimensions that exist. Religions might call that heaven. Quantum physics calls it dimensions. And uh, it's kind of important to understand there's other things going on that we don't see. There's another... Well, I, I, I put the question out one time. Somebody, you think everything's measurable, like classical science says it is, tell me how far it is to the end of the universe. And nobody got back to me on that one. We think everything is, uh, goes with our five senses, but uh, we don't see everything that's out there. This is, uh, that's me, the little sock hat. We all have sock hats back then, keep our heads warm. 8,400 feet uh, in the Sierra Nevada Mountains. It's really bright when the moon's out. It's also cold, and, uh, and you can see the snow there. We was up there as much as we could get up there. Uh, before the snow would take you out in the wintertime, you couldn't go back till spring. But uh, I want to play this because this is a vocal interaction uh, with me. Uh, oh, by the way, I think I got the sock hats. If these things have sagittal crest, like you know what sagittal crest is, a pointed head, um, maybe they thought we were their little brothers because uh, we wore those sock hats, sock hats like that. I don't know.
that was me yelling back and forth at one of them that night. This went on for over an hour, and uh, it was quite an interesting night. Again, that's when they first started interacting with us while we were outside the shelter. That's the very night I got to see one, and uh, that's kind of cemented everything for me. You know, we knew we were dealing with something up there, we didn't know what. Still don't know what. But having language by the human definition of language implies sapience. I think I said that. But if sapience is attributed to humans only, what could that mean? Could they be part human? So we're trying to understand what we're dealing with there. Those folks out here who have seen these things and have understood that they probably are out there because maybe your cousin or your brother or someone saw one right in front of their car or something like that, or you out hunting, you saw something that was walking upright, you just can't believe it was a bear, so. Uh, and some of these aren't misidentified, but a lot of them are not. so big stay so concealed. Everybody said, well, hey, if they're out there, we'd have found one by now. Or science says, where's the bones? Or people say that. Most people who've been out in the woods know you just don't find bones laying around everywhere. If the native lore is correct, they take care of their own. If uh, nature's correct, they clean up after themselves. So you all will never see one like that. Uh, they did find remnants of Gigantopithecus in Asia, which was a 10 to 12 foot tall, I think, if it stood upright, had a gorilla-type being. That was a long time ago, they figured it went extinct, but now the scientists that I work with believe that they may have crossed over the land bridge and come down and, uh, and started maybe crossbreeding with the natives or something like that. But that means something else special, that they're able to crossbreed, which I believe they are, because when they do find the DNA of what they believe was a Bigfoot, it comes out that the mitochondrial, which is the female side, is human. Yet sometimes they can't determine what the nuclear DNA, which is the male counterpart, is. And that's out of 224 billion in the gene bank. There's no match. And that's what throws the geneticists off, because they well, it must have been contaminated. If that's the truth, then it must be contaminated. It's got human DNA in it. Well, no, they are part human, in my opinion. And that's what gives them their savings too. But where do they come from? What are they doing here? What's something else we'd like to get into? What gives them their unusual attributes? Can science give us the answer? Are they flesh and blood? Yes, something made these sounds that was flesh and blood. Something made the prints up there at our camp that was flesh and blood. So they, they procreate, they poop, <laughs> But could there be more that we need to understand? I absolutely think so. So how do we understand them? There's some enigmas associated with these things that, that we run across up there and there's no explanation for it in classical science book uh, playbook, which means you can see everything that is. Uh, there's no explanation. The lights, the sounds, and not only just the vocalizations, I mean sounds like a big tuning fork above your head or sounds like the the camp was being tore apart out there, and you look out there and nothing's changed. Uh, they either get into your head and uh, hypnotize all of us thinking we're thinking that, or hearing that, or they're able to create those sounds with their very complex vocal mechanism. 
Science is built upon facts as a house is with stones, but a collection of facts is no more science than a heap of stones is a house. I kind of like that, so I'll put it on there. Uh, you guys know who this guy is probably, don't you? Stephen Hawkins, his ability to change. Can we all change what we think we know if we find out something new? I see one head shake, yes. Anybody else? <laughs> Can anybody else change if you thought, if you found out something new? This, this is maybe new to some of you. I mean, it was, it's, it's pretty complex when you really get into the depth of it and what I think we've discovered and what I think I've discovered in my studies. I've been around the world, I've been in Nepal, I've been in Peru, I've been into Bolivia, I've been into Siberia, been around the world looking for anything that might associate with what we ran across here in the Sierra Nevada Mountains and how it might associate. Because these things seem to be reported all over. They took me into Siberia, way back into a remote area, into a huge cave to drive a truck into, so that they've been seeing the wild man, the Yeti, going in and out of there. Well, maybe there was tracks in there, but then when they take you to a spot like that, you really can't say 100% that they didn't create that. It's kind of a filming thing anyway. Uh, so, we said 95% chance it was. It's just too, too, too hard to get to, really. It was quite a trip. Uh, this is classical science. Let me show you the difference here. <clears throat> it's just show me the proof. You got to have the proof. Most scientists, have, uh, most people, uh, study with this method exclusively. They got to get a picture. They got to. They got to have proof. They got to have uh, proof. Which is wrong, but that's restrictive as far as I'm concerned. about classical science it's based upon the claim that all reality is physical or material and uh, that's really not so true it requires a body of evidence cannot be predicated on likes or dislikes it cannot be uh, founded on your beliefs or your disbeliefs it must be proven by repeatable experiments so that's classical science my ask you are they being restricted by this method? And I tell them straight up, the professors I talk with, you're not going far enough. But that's what they're in the training game. If they get out of that discipline, they lose their tenure, they lose their funding, they lose. So therefore, they don't study this subject part. There are a few that still do. Uh, what I like is what the astronaut, Edgar Mitchell said, he said, it takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. Uh, how many here are familiar with quantum physics? Uh oh, are you physicists? Anybody physicists? I was close. <laughs> no, but physics, uh, I'm not a physicist, but I've been delving into it for years and years now since I've since I been trying to find a science behind what went on up there because it just, none of the stuff, some of the stuff just didn't make sense. The lights, the orbs, up there a couple of years ago, with my sweetheart over here, Carrie. Carrie, raise your hand. Yeah. She's in the part of what makes me happen. <laughs> uh, and we were camped out because the shelter's not there any longer. We had to take it down in 2015, but uh, we had a little tent with an open top, or screened in top, and we was laying there. I was sitting there, and she was there, and this elongated light, about this long, I, I tell people it looks like a Star Wars lifesaver, lightsaver, you know those things, comes floating by our tent, about 40 feet above our tent, and about 
four or five foot high going between the trees. Now that's a little concerning too. You don't know what this thing is, but it's, it's not normal. There's nothing up there that could do that that we know of uh, in our classical thinking. So, but strange things up there is not unusual. It's a very unique area in the Sierras. Anyway, you got to combine these two. You reach out to classical science as much as you can. If you can find a picture, great. If you can get tracks, great. If you can record the sound, great. But it's got to go further than that because you still don't know what they are. <laughs> and uh, DNA is not given us that. Quantum science <clears throat> is how all things in the universe work. Uh, that's, that goes on with uh, uh, light. Uh, it goes on with time. We think time is yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but really in the quantum field of experience, time don't exist as we perceive it in our reality here. It's just not like that. But you can step out of that and you can do it within yourself. And uh, you can listen to a reading about a guy who teaches how to do this. He's a neophysicist and he's a neoscientist, I should say. You got the science behind you, how you can connect to the pineal gland, which is inside you, which that's how you sense things. That's how you you just you sense things. Sometimes you can read things, you can understand things. Uh, you don't know how consciousness works. They still can't explain how consciousness works, but classical science will never explain that. It takes quantum science to explain it. This guy named Joe Dispenza, I want to say his name because I, I would recommend his book to anybody here who hasn't read it already. It's just phenomenal that I've explained to you in detail how our body can create things. We are born and made as creators in the image of God, I'll say, whatever God is. And uh, as creators, we can create. I get all carried away with some of this stuff, don't I? Actually, you know. uh, Physics, yeah. Okay, here's what Einstein said. He said, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. Well, what does that mean? I think if he said it today, he'd say spirituality. I don't think he'd say religion, because religion's been taken a, kind of, they're in a box too. They, uh, they got their thing made up. So I'm not against religion, but I'm for spirituality more than anything. I think we're all spiritual beings inhabiting a body. And this energy, which cannot die, according to Stephen Hawkins, according to quantum physics, energy doesn't die, it goes somewhere else. It just transfers from one form to another. And if that's true, which it's, it is true, according to the math and quantum physics, then we go somewhere when you die. Go on, whatever that is. And uh, anyway, I think he would say spirituality, not religion, just because of what they had in science in those days. They believed in in God, but then Einstein said God doesn't play dice, he doesn't just go up, but quantum field is the possibility of so many different things uh, get into it. Oh, there it is, science without religion, blame Here's something Tesla said, what one man calls God, another man calls the laws of physics. Now it's Sunday, I'm not preaching to you here, so don't get the wrong idea, but uh, I just wonder, and I believe that quantum physics and spirituality are the same. You get into shamans, you get into what Christ was, the, the guy in the Bible, you know, and the, the, the mysteries that contained in there, the, the uh, miracles that were done, were done through the laws of quantum physics. 
the laws that control the universe is quantum physics. And he said, whatever he's doing, we can do. But I don't see anybody here, including me, that's walking on water yet. So just, uh, we've got more to go, folks. Researching means looking at all the data available. And you gotta look at the history, you gotta look at the evolution, uh, native lore. I've looked into all these things uh, extensively, and uh, I just believe that an effective researcher does not selectively find reports that fit his or her paradigm, does not discredit others, keeps an open mind. Very important to have an open mind. Does everybody here have an open mind? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Three, four, five people do, okay. But, not so open that your brains fall out, okay? Got you uh, Let's consider this. Over eons of time, history has been lost or changed. What once was known as truth became myth, and myth became proven as truth. I believe there's a core of truth to mythology, Greek mythology, and ancient text. By that I mean demigods. I mean fallen angels or aliens, whatever you want to call them. This is Native American lore. They say they uh, live in two worlds. What did that mean? They live in two worlds. Do we live in two worlds? Or just the one we see? Is there more going on that we need to know about ourselves? I think if we can learn more about ourselves, we can learn more about what these things are, because I can tell you this, they think that we think we're smarter than them. If we thought we were, we tried to trick them, and we wouldn't believe how they can out-negotiate you. You can't go looking for them and make something happen. It just doesn't work that way. I've been doing this for 45 plus years now, and, and just, Anyway, uh, they also say spirit beings that can disappear. Can anything in physics cause something to disappear? Go out of our light's perception? All these vibrational frequencies which exist out there, that are outside of our perception. Um, yes, there's a lot of things outside of our perception, but it's all welcome. We are at the very basic level energy, and uh, that's what we are. That's fact. We're just all energy. We're different forms, but we're energy. That energy cannot die, it can only change forms. So how can you change, if these things could disappear, like the native lore says, and like so many people have reported to me over the years, which I used to just write off, because I was in classical science only for a long time. Uh, I used to think, these people are nuts. They got candles lit all over the place. <laughs> no, no, let's get out of here. So anyway, uh, if they can disappear, is there a science behind it? Al Berry, who had a master's degree in science, said if you're gonna talk about this stuff, stay with science or you'll lose credibility. Well, so for years and years, we just talked about the stuff that we could explain classically. Uh, we didn't talk about the mysterious stuff that went on up there. And there's a lot more that happened than what I'm telling you here today, it just take forever. But uh, a lot of people have experienced this stuff and they keep it behind themselves or keep it pinned in because they think somebody's gonna think they're crazy. You might think I'm crazy. I don't care. You know, just, I'm, just, I'm just gonna be who I am and, and uh, I've gone through this so many years, I, I just don't care. I'm gonna tell you what it is. Is there a core truth in any of this stuff? I believe there is a core truth. Who what, you say what? Oh, thank you. Uh, 
Anybody believe that story from the Bible? No. <laughs> I do. You do? I believe it. Come on. You guys don't believe it? <laughs> well, I got a hand over there. Well, giants have existed on this earth. It's in all records all over the earth. And we got bones, we got all kinds of evidence showing giants have been here. You got the Paiutes in, in, uh, in Nevada that warred against these hairy giants in the Lovelock area. I've been there four times studying that stuff. Uh, however, the remnants of all these bones are being have been taken away. They won't let you look at them anymore, of uh, any bones. I mean, they found the, the Martindale mummies in Yosemite, they found those in 1898. Can't find those anymore. Uh, you've got the uh, Minaret skull, which was found in the Pateria Nevada Mountains. There's a huge human-like skull. Uh, Dr. Denton sent it, sent it into uh, UCLA. UCLA, it's gone. Can't find it. Something captures all this stuff because they don't want to destroy all the stuff they've been shoving down our throat for years and years and years, which is, this is the way it happened. Darwinism, that's the way it is. Religious people over here, that's the way it is, just go with that. But there's something in between that I think we need to get a hold of. And, uh, anyway, is there a core truth? I think so. Is there alien intervention? Could there be? There's a lot of reports of people seeing UFOs and also seeing these things around them. Uh, so what's going on there? Is there what type of beings are these things? Uh, I was looking forward to that. Okay, we're gonna see if this next one works. Ah, oh, it worked. At the most minute level of matter, the subatomic level, Everything is energy. I said that a minute ago. It's vibrating at different frequencies. So if you can tune into the frequency of anything, you can become one with it. And that may be saying a lot right now, but it's uh, it's how things work. It's how these people do their miracles. You can tune into things. And this Joe Dispenza book called what's it called? Becoming supernatural. He's got the science behind how we can do that as people. You don't get anything else. Get, get that. Uh, you can buy it now in audio form, so you can listen to it, and uh, it's just a great, a great thing to hear because it, it finally got how that stuff works and how we can become how Christ taught us to become, which was supernatural. It seems supernatural; it's just natural if you get into it. But can these things adapt into those things? If they have alien uh, parts to them on the nuclear side, the male counterpart, if, if that's happened in ancient texts, like the crossbreeding with the humans to create a, a corrupt a, a human genome, which we're supposed to be from a pure race. That's why the flood happened, all that stuff. Uh, however, the Nephilim, which were the giants in the old, uh, were produced by fallen angels or aliens. Uh, you find that uh, all kinds of stuff, it's all in my book over there, which I'm going to give you a special deal with it if you want one. My perspective. How am I doing on time, Toby? You're good. Keep going. I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm not done. Uh, my perspective is this. <clears throat> Beings from the cosmos. Beings from the cosmos have been here on this planet and could be here now. How many here believe that uh, aliens have been on this earth? Trust me. 
I've seen remnants of them in South America. I've been down on two different expeditions with two different scientists on two different years, and they've been here. I've found the elongated skulls, we've found in the tombs. Uh, it's, it's, they're here, they've been here. But we've examined the skulls of some of these things which have a single parietal bone. They don't have a split like we do with two parietals like we have on top of our head. These things are, well, they're just not totally human. And uh, anyway, if you fly over the Nazca lines and see all the stuff down there, it opens your eyes uh, to realizing there's stuff going on and has gone on in, in our past that, that we need to catch up with and understand that it really has happened. It's not just a story somewhere. And uh, the facts are down there that can prove that to you. Anybody in there? Who's been down there? South America, Peru, Chichen, and all those places. No? Okay. I could say anything, you wouldn't know the difference. No. It's been written that they crossbred with the humans, and that's been written in biblical texts, it's been written in uh, Greek mythology, Hebrew mythology, demigods they were called, and uh, can we, is that all just myth, or is there any truth to any of it? Well, there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's truth to some of it because that's what these things could be a remnant of. Some of them are crossbred in the native, native uh, cultures and the in indigenous people and have become more diluted than some, so some are more human-like than others. Uh, it's just, uh, could there be a product of that for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alien manipulation of the DNA. Now they are advanced beings, whatever they are. They've got more going on than what we understand. They work, I believe, in the quantum field, of that's how they travel, because once you go past the speed of light, you're into just energy only. And uh, they must have a way of doing that. By the way, your thoughts can go faster than the speed of light, because Einstein said nothing can go faster than the speed of light. He's talking about matter, physical things. Nothing can go faster than light, because once it does, it turns into just your energy. That's what we're going to turn into when you pass on to something else. You hope. And all these reports of uh, are they able to disappear? Well, I have for years heard people talk about how they follow the tracks and the tracks just stop. And they can't figure out where they went. And this is on the beach in the sand, no tide, none of that stuff. Just all of a sudden the tracks stop. Well, a lot of uh, researchers will just write a report off like that and say, well, there's nothing to it because it just couldn't disappear, so they must have hoaxed the tracks. Well, they can do that. They can change their energy into matter, their matter into energy. Somehow they know how to do that. I think that, that attribute's been given to them by their creator, whoever messed around with the DNA of a primate here and caused these things to exist. It's just my opinion, but I think it's got some basis. Yeah, that's why I said, could the vocal range uh, create a vibrational frequency that would cause them to go out of our perception? Because we only perceive, like I say, a certain frequency, a certain, and it's called light. Light has its frequencies. You get out of that and things exist, even dark matter exists. You know, all the space you think was empty, you've been taught was just empty space between the planets, it's not empty, it's dark matter. According to Stephen Hawkins and other physicists, uh, it's full of energy at different vibrating at different frequencies. So, could that be where you go until you find another spot? <laughs> I don't know. This is fun, isn't it?
Uh, some may want to help us, or some may not want to help us. Because uh, I think that they are different, and I don't mean different by some are good and some are bad, like that, not, not restricted like that. We are all humans. When you go to Mexico, when you go to uh, China, when you go to Africa, wherever you go, they're different people, and some of them are mean or some of them are good, but they're all still humans, as by the definition of human. All in this planet are humans. I don't think all these are necessarily the same species. They may carry the same mitochondrial DNA, the maternal side, because that's what the DNA is showing. But the nuclear DNA, the male counterpart, is, is unknown. And the geneticists that are saying it's unknown are being wiped off the board because, no, everything's known, right? That's, that's the way science thinks, in a way, at least the classical way. Come in. Anyway, uh, this is my book, uh, the newest book. I've got two books. Uh, this book is about the quantum field and how I think these things are, are hooking into it somehow and how I think we can actually hook into it. And that's Joseph Dispenza that I was talking about. He will give you really good information on how to hook into it, how to become what we're supposed to be as humans, how these things may be already because they have advanced technology built into their DNA through their nuclear, nuclear counterpart, whatever that is. Aliens, and different types of aliens have been here over the eons, and I don't want to get too spooky on you guys, but uh, they're here now. And you see, they're reported all over, and finally the government's acknowledging them, finally. <laughs> Even our president, bless his soul, is, is uh, creating a space, uh, space what is it, space? Space Force. Thank you, Space Force. You know, in my book, I get into, uh, I, I, I'm doing what Einstein did, and I don't mean to put myself on the same level as him, but spirituality and quantum physics are the same. If you get into biblical texts and some of that stuff, you'll see just how those things are and how it matches up with quantum physics. So, if you want to get into my book and read some of this stuff, it may be how Bigfoot is doing what they do. I get into some of the... Uh, mystical stuff that went on with me and the other guys up there. And no one's pulling our leg. That's what Alberry was up there for. He was trying to figure out who's doing this. Because there wasn't leaving anything that's up there, large voices that we could record and tracks. And uh, we could not get a picture, much as we tried to bring up threads and everything else. These things like they were watching you. And I know they were watching us at times. There was a time when we sat at the stove eating and we hung our deer up behind the shelter. I don't hunt anymore, by the way. Uh, but at that time I was a hunter, and uh, we went back to check out because they, they would usually come in and mess around with our deer. They wouldn't take it, but they would take food we'd leave on the stove or out for them. Uh, we went back there because we raked out an area underneath the deer, and while we were sitting there eating, one had walked up and looked over our shelter at us. We found three tracks right there under our deer, and that was pretty eye-opening because then you realize they're looking at us, maybe right now, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, This is my other book. It's called, the first book I put out in 2012, it's called Voices in the Wilderness. And uh, it's my chronicle, 40 years doing this. Uh, at that time it was 40 years, it's 46 and a half, 40, 47. 
time flies when you're having fun. Uh, anyway, I have sold under a million copies. But it is my chronicle. It's what I, what I went through. It comes with a CD, by the way. Uh, the CD, uh, when you get to the context of the sound that I'm talking about, as we're going through this, you'll hear the sound. And uh, you know, just play it. Working on an audio book now, which I hope to have out uh, before the end of the year, uh, of this one here. The quantum physics, I haven't even started on yet with an audio book because I gotta have different Russian voices and physicists with accents and all that kind of stuff chiming in with it to make it sound like I want it to sound. So anyway. It's a turn machine here. First of all, thanks everybody. Hey, thank you for coming and thank Ron for uh, showing up here. Thank you. Yeah, turn out. Awesome. Thank you. Ron, you and I had the chance to uh, head out in the woods yesterday uh, with a few fine folk and take a picture of Biggie here. You know, one of the things I did classically is try to add kind of a Euro-Asian theme to him, but the samurai chatter, um, I know Matt Moneymaker at BFRL maybe coined the term, but as far as like the Asian dialect there, was that something consistent that you would hear as this kind of Asian dialect that really was, has stemmed from? It, it was in 74, though. The first part of 71, 72, no, it was very aggressive sounding, very rapid fire, very, very fast. And uh, uh, by the time 74 came out, the crypto English says that they actually tried to slow their vocalizations down. And it's on my second CD, a lot of the interaction I was doing with them. And it sounds very interesting how they replied back to me or I was trying to mimic them. And uh, the response I got was quite phenomenal. And that's the night I saw one. The Samurai Cry, uh, I didn't play that, did I? No, play the Samurai. You got it, I don't have it. <laughs> we'll do an impression of it. Oh yeah, all right. <laughs> I can't do that. In fact, I even say that on the CD, on the tape, when I was recording it. I can't follow that act. But, but uh, one was behind me, and uh, it was actually found our toilet seat, which we had taken up there. All this stuff was packed in with our mules and, uh, and we reassembled and stuff like that. So we had a, really a cool camp set up up there. And uh, anyway, for years and years, we enjoyed the, the pristine wilderness that was up there. The samurai cry came from up here. That's when I uh, was interacting or yelling at, we think, an adolescent and a female down below which were interacting, and he shot through the trees uh, down that way. That's when I saw him. It was just huge, and very, very, very fast. I can't explain how fast it was, inhumanly fast. 
Anybody else have questions? Because I could go all day up here. Clarence? Yeah, Aaron. The closest we heard, you know, yeah. probably within 10, 15 feet of our shelter. Oh my gosh. Did ear splitting? Did it, did it shake your chest cavity or was it like that at all? It would, it would, yeah, the aptitude, you, uh, you can't describe the aptitude. It's so loud. These things are so big. And they're bigger than that, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> That's a junior. At least the big ones are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could. I had a stereo headset. I had the best cassette player you could get in those days that had a uh, worked-off batteries, and I had two excellent microphones, one inside the shelter like this, and I could lay there with my headset on and, and hear them uh, walking between the sounds. And I lost all my tapes, which I I lost them in a house fire a few years later. So. Uh, Al Berry, fortunately, I'd sent him one of these uh, ones that I interacted because that was one of my tapes. Uh, I sent it to him and he had that when my house burned down, so he sent it back and then encouraged, encouraged me to make the second CD with those sounds on it, so that's what I've done. But yeah, they, they came with it. Al Berry, when he recorded some of those aggressive sounds you heard uh, there on this, he had his mic remoted with a wire up, uh, stuck to a little sibling pine tree up there about 40 feet behind the shelter. We think one is behind one of those trees with this builder outcropping, which is just beyond that our ways. And uh, if uh, Professor Melvin is correct, he says we have remnants of sacks under our fire arms here, what the gorillas do. And you can push them like that and get some really loud and throw the voice out a lot. So if that's what these things have, that could answer how these things sounded like they were standing right on top of this microphone when they made these sounds. <laughs> uh, but he had his head up there too, trying to see what was making the sound. How very he's six foot four, has made a hole up in the top of the shelter and crawled up there and was looking back there towards the uh, microphone, and he never did see anything. But uh, one thing we ever got were glimpses. My daughter got a good look at one, Rhonda, and uh, she she did one, and uh, in fact she saw them three times up there. Any other questions? Yeah, real quick, I want to ask by a show of hands, how many people here who haven't had an interaction, who would actually like to have an interaction with a Sasquatch? Raise your hand if you'd like to. So you see 20 hands here, people that haven't had an interaction. What do you suggest to these fine folks? How should they go about doing that? Well, you get in the woods where probably they've been reported, which is around here, by the way. There's a lot of reported around here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Uh, well, they're seen quite regularly out in these wooded areas, but a lot of times you've got to recognize some of their telltale signs, which they'll try to play toy with you. Like I say, they think with far they want to toy with humans. And I don't know uh, why, but they do. And uh, I think if you want to get close to them, you have to get into those spots, get away from people, though. Get back where nobody is, where you know nobody is. Don't tell them where you're going, but don't go by yourself. Uh, take somebody with you. Somebody needs to look over your shoulder and when you hear a sound that way, have somebody else looking behind you because they're very uh, tricky that way. Uh, get there, clear your mind, get between your, get off your beta state of thinking, which is how we all are now, right now. Thinking, analytical, uh, get into just before, just as you get into alpha state of sleep, which is when you're really, uh, you 
honestly, but you're not awake. You, you guys are, you know what I'm talking about there. There's five stages of sleep, and you got to get right there. Where you're not trying to analyze things, you're just ready to be simple and be simple. And if they want to interact with you, they will. You cannot make it happen. You can't, you can't uh, blast these sounds and make it happen. Well, you might make something happen, but people that blasted these uh, aren't, aren't really happy because one time a guy said the same thing, charging at him out of the woods. So you don't know what they're saying. We still don't know what, they had Scott Nelson transcribe a language, but he didn't uh, translate a language. He doesn't know what they're saying. He just knows it is a language. And uh, really, until one comes out of the woods and points to a tree and goes, ooga, ooga, and says that's a tree, or ooga, ooga means a tree, you don't know that ooga, ooga means a tree. So we don't know what they're saying, but we know they're saying something. And that night, when I interacted with them, they were asking me something. For years and years, I've, I've hoped somebody would get a hold of these and be able to actually translate what they were saying. But you can't do that until you know what a word means in their language. And it's a complex language. It's not just a language. It's a very complex language. Very rapid fire. Any questions? Here? And I have a excuse me. I do have a list of do's and don'ts. My suggestions. For people. Let's go over those. Well, no, I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> huh? You'll have to read his book. So the books, <laughs> yeah, the books are no, I'll tell you anything you ask. I just don't know where to go with this. There's, well, uh, there's all kinds bring, of things you can't. Huh? I'm bringing a gun. I'm bringing a sidearm. What do you say about people that feel like for safety's sake, they don't want to go out in the woods without a gun, but they're going to have a Bigfoot encounter, how would that affect their approach? Uh, well, the way it affected us was it didn't. We had guns all the time. I've never been up there without a firearm and a high-powered firearm. Well, in time or two, I had little ones, but uh, just for getting the bear away. A lot of bear where we go up there. There was. It's all burnt down now. These California fires took over the, the area, so we don't have that camp like it was. The area is still there, so I don't know what happened to these beings uh, during that time. But they've been spotted all in that area. I just got a report from a guy a couple weeks ago who's been hunting there for 15 years, and he, he saw one. So, uh, anyway, so. We've got a question. Hey, I remember you. Yeah. Here, go ahead, hold the mic. So everyone can hear. Yeah, I was just saying, there's so much clear-cutting also going on, and uh, how's that might be affecting them? The fear? Yeah, clear-cutting, clear as well as the fires, you know. Well, you got to get past the fear factor because you can't, you can't help but trigger that a little bit because you don't know what you're dealing with yet. There's been a lot of reports of these things taking people. No, Ron, Ron, he's talking about clear cutting the forest. How is yeah, that? Clear cutting? Yeah. I think that's kind of a lot of clear cutting. Like, there's some going on trees. These things don't like you to certain trees like that. Uh, clear cutting, I just, there's a lot of reports of these things being seen around where they're doing logging in, in this area, in different areas. And I'm a pilot, when I was flying back and forth from California to uh, Washington, it looked like a checkerboard out there and <laughs> fly over Oregon to Washington. California don't clear cut. Uh, so I clear cutting, I, well, the trees in, in general, there's a whole theory about trees and these things, which if they can transform out of matter into energy, they've got to have energy to maybe bust back in. And sometimes the tree knock you hear, like the one I heard in 2011 when I was up there, was like a gunshot going off right outside, right outside where I was. And I knew that's what they do. So I went outside, it was still daylight, started trying to talk to them when they were coming, let me learn more about them. 
But sometimes I wonder if, uh, and by the way, uh, something else happened that night too, uh, very mysterious. Uh, but the tree thing is, is quite unique. Uh, some people that suggest, they don't suggest, they say emphatically that these things are re-energizing in trees. And uh, that's the case, that would cause them to be really uh, put in with trees, right? <laughs> yes. Hi. Hello, everybody. I'm Connie. Hi, Connie. Hi. Are you going to sing for us, Connie? No. Yes. <clears throat> <laughs> I want to tell a story that happened to me and my husband and dad maybe about a month ago. Yeah? Um, we were out in the Oxbow. I don't know if anyone knows that stretch of woods out there, yeah? Um, and we were sitting there, Joe was playing guitar, and we have my dog with us, and we hear this sound, and it's maybe 200 yards, and forgive my impression, but here it goes. Uh, it was something like, doo doo doo. And it was, the pitch never faltered, all the same pitch every time. A little bit difference in the distance of what it did, but that same little rattle at the end. And it was a massive animal. We could feel it in our chest, like you could feel the, the noise that it. it did it maybe seven times in a row. Um, and my dogs were, who are normally protectors, were just standing there and they were alert but not barking. We're like, so. Another story is that my dad's best friend is a paid cougar trapper. So I'm saying, Dad, is it a cat? Is it a cat? Because he knows every sound that animal's going to make. And he just like completely checked out. He's like, all right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to load this gun so that we all know. And he won't answer me if it's a cat or not. And then I think maybe after about seven times we heard it in the one spot, it was all of a sudden 300 yards this way and close and it was the same sound. And so at this point, which is why I'm glad we talked about guns too, I told my husband uh, to go ahead and fire the gun because I was worried about my dog and the cougar. Um, and then we never heard it again, of course. We fired into an abatement, not out into the woods, and someone would not shoot anything. Uh, so that's my different story. <laughs> All right. A lot of people ask me about dogs and these things. Well, on my second CD, I've got a recording there of a guy who called the deputy's office when he actually had an encounter with one of these things. And he had his dog killed uh, right up here in Oregon uh, by what he now knows was a Bigfoot because it was a 35-pound German Shepherd, or no, 35 yards. It was a heavy German Shepherd. But it went out after the something, you didn't know what it was. Because the sensor light went on about one o'clock in the morning. And heard a big thump like that, his dog was barking a big thump and a squeal, and then his dog comes sailing 35 feet over a fence and uh, killed his dog. So if a dog is out there and they're gonna go after you, they will either go after them to protect you or just the dog's nature to bark at things. It's gonna irritate them, so I don't suggest that. Uh, However, some dogs will obey you enough to stay by your side and, and cower down and just not, not mess with them. That's more, happens more than they say. I, think, I could probably find that audio, that 911 call that you're talking about. It's up in the Olympics where the guy calls the 911 and the dog. Yeah. So that's an actual 911 phone call. If you go on YouTube and type in 911 Bigfoot call, it's a very, very realistic phone call uh, that involves a man in distress. Uh, sees a Bigfoot live action on 911.
you know, I interviewed that guy personally, yeah. and uh, I thought it was so compelling. And we got the records from the deputies from the sheriff's department. I edited him a little bit because a lot of time he goes on between the reports. It was uh, two reports uh, from the same guy about two weeks apart. And uh, the first time he never knew what really got his dog and threw a clear cross over there. But the second time his, his wife came on outside and saw this thing standing out there. That's when he put two and two together. And that's when he called the service department again. And uh, yeah, it was a very compelling story. Uh, totally believable. And he was a very sober man. Uh, so. By the way, camp was sober when we were there too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anybody else have questions? Anybody in back? Yeah, Francis. Say it with your outside voice. <laughs> Are you saying children? Yes. She wants to know what about children. We didn't take our children up there until they were a little older, 10, 12. perception that they were in. These things have a vibrational frequency and they can change it uh, at, when they want to, in my opinion. That's how they do it. I just think that children uh, will notice and think, see things that adults are so out of tune yeah. being able to see. Like, it just seems odd that no one has ever said anything about a, a, young person, a real young person's... Oh, they do. There's stories about that. Oh, yeah. You just haven't heard them. There are stories about children playing with them. Mm -hmm. Another question over here? No, she was just adding that. No, I just wanted to make sure you hit on that, that you get reports of oh, yes. from adults that say they play with them as children or yeah. I like questions. <laughs> yes, Daryl. Daryl, can you step up to the mic so the whole crowd can hear? That's why we're doing it. So he can hear that. Yeah. I was just wondering when you guys were going out there. How long did that camp been set up prior to the, the, the camp has been there since 1958. 
was there any other stories or these you know there may have been but these guys uh, always laid it off in the bear or something else they never could put the bigfoot thing together until that one night when one of them got hurt on the stove they think and left that big print out there in the mud and that's when it all really broke open so there, there was never any footprints or anything you know if you're not looking for them you don't find them generally um, most people aren't looking for this, and we weren't. They weren't looking for it, so it may have been around that they could have. You know how a bear will be. Put some scrap paw in the front. You think it's a footprint with toes? Well, a lot of people misidentify that, you know. And uh, but uh, no, there's a. There's could have been. I think, and they think that these things may have been observing them for some time, but they never made their presence known until 1971. So that, was there anything that set them off at that point in 1971 to actually interact with you guys? Well, I think the 71 thing is when one of them got hurt. They were watching oh. the guys eat, and one of them got hurt on the teapot oh, so burnt. The teapot was empty. Uh, the food was gone that they'd left out. Uh, they realized the sounds wasn't from a bear. These guys are having hunters. I mean, they can, yeah. like I said, strike a match with a rifle from 100 yards almost. It's just ridiculous how good they are and uh, how wise they are in the wilderness. And they, they decide not to go out because they just, they don't know what it is. They just make a lot of noise. So once it kind of gave itself away, then that's when it kind of all started yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got burned, I think. Also, uh, she was asking about children. My family comes from Oklahoma, Native Americans. Uh -huh. When we were being raised, my dad and mom, they were raised by those kids. And you know, they got the little people, and they, they always, in their family, they call it the Sasquatch, you know, like Tammy Boats, I don't know what that means. And at night, the parents would come out and say, come in, you know, before we get started, because Tammy Boat is in the Sasquatch, is in the ground. And uh, they, you know, they're all over there. They are all there. It's by the State Union reports them. Even New York, upstate New York, they report these things. And it's hard to understand. But if they are interdimensional, that's the term we we'll use, uh, going out of, uh, out of matter into energy and back again. Uh, they could be anywhere. Once you get out of this dimension, you're not locked into time like we are, so they can show differently. Thank you. Anybody else? Any other questions? You? No, nothing. No, you? No. Well, I appreciate everybody coming here. Unless there's no more questions here for Ron, give a warm welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thank you again for all you're doing. Uh, the event this all weekend, right. we all had a very special one yesterday, and I was able to meet some of you intimately, which I really appreciate. And I just love talking to people about this because I think I think I'm onto something. I really do. I'm I'm, uh, well, I'm going to Colorado next month. I'm going to where are we uh, different places, speaking to the crowds. And uh, I usually talk with the professor that's into this too. He knows that their prints have dermal ridges, and dermal ridges are something you can't fake. It's like a fingerprint. So he believes they're there, but he's classical science too. He only gets his funding through things that he can convince the board that he, it's there. And so he's looking for the primitives of Gigantopithecus, like I say. Uh, but he won't go out of that, that uh, disciplinary box that they've created for his classical science. That's too bad.
which I think they're very restricted. And thank you, Ron Moorhead, for speaking once again. He's a great guy, the real deal. I hope that came through in his presentation. It's so nice to have authenticity wherever you can find it, to be damn honest nowadays. Ron's just that kind of guy. Again, go to ronmoorhead.com to find out more about his sounds or just type in the Sierra Sounds in any search engine and you'll find him. He'll also be uh, giving lectures presently around, uh, gosh, the Pacific Northwest. I think he's headed Colorado. So, if you yourself would like to be a guest or have an idea for a subject matter that's close and dear to your heart, you can get in touch with us here at strangebrow.com or at gmail.com. Or give us a call at 541-515-2759. 541-515-2759. I guess you'd call that the Strange Brow Hotline. Leave your ideas, complaints, recipes, <laughs> whatever you like. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to see you next week. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>